Welcome to On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge. I am wicked excited to highlight the latest and greatest must-have tools and mental health resources for first responders. Currently, I am the Public Safety Community Engagement Manager at Rapid SOS. With 24 years in public safety, 20 of those in the 911 center, and now still serving my community as a call firefighter and an EMT, I am truly honored to be bringing you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers that are harnessing the power of new technology, out-of-the-box thinking, and mental health support services to save lives on both sides of the call. Hey, friends. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. First, I just want to thank you for stopping by and hitting the play button. I am so very excited that you're here. Why? Because I love to talk. If you know me, you know that one of my favorite pastimes is talking. I was a dispatcher after all, and I got paid to talk for a living. And sometimes it was hard to stop. If you don't know me, I guess it's this time that I should probably tell you that I'm extremely passionate about the jobs that I do. Whether it is talking about the technology advancements that we have been so very proud to provide to 911 centers across the nation that is helping telecommunicators better do their job or if I'm talking about mental health resources and the importance of advocating for yourself and your mental health needs. Either way, I am extremely passionate about what I do. And I hope that my passion is passed on to you. This episode zero, the intro, is just that. It is my way of letting you get to know me and who I am and how I got here and what you can expect from the podcast. I can assure you that going forward, you are not just going to be listening to me tell stories. Okay, I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Chances are I'm going to tell a story or two or 10. That's how I roll. But nonetheless, I'm not going to be here by myself. I can't wait for you all to hear the caliber of public safety professionals that I already have lined up to join me on the podcast. These folks are going to be sharing such profound information that nobody can walk away not learning something. These folks are going to share anything from the technology that they are implementing in their 911 center for from the first time it was available to mental health resources that they have put in place to make sure that their telecommunicators are doing okay. Okay, enough about the logistics. Let's get this party started. As we move forward with each episode, you will see that I'm going to start off with a relative quote. There's something about quotes to me that bring lessons to life. My favorite quote is by Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. There are so many times in my life, in my journey, 
where I self-sabotaged myself by talking myself out of the things that I knew I should be doing. I hope that as you listen to the story that I'm about to share with you, you see the places where I believed that I could. I cherish the places that I could because they led me right here. So going back, oh, I'm going to say junior high, I decided I wanted to be a nurse. I knew at an early age that I wanted to help people. I just didn't know what it looked like. But I knew I wanted to be a nurse. And so my sights were set on going to a vocational school that had a program called Health Careers. And I knew that given my challenges with sitting for long periods of time and focusing on things, that a vocational school was probably going to be the best fit for me. And I was right. What I didn't realize then was I was an adrenaline junkie. I admit it. And unfortunately, in that particular program, we weren't exposed to emergency medicine. And I got bored. And by the time I graduated, I did really know what direction I wanted to go in. And I remember having a conversation with my parents and, you know, we decided that I was going to go to a community college and, and just get the basic classes that I needed until I could figure out what it was that I truly wanted to do. And as I got my associate's degree in just general sciences, I had a conversation with my dad. My dad was a police officer in Boston, Massachusetts for many years. He told me I should be a police officer, something I never thought of. Wasn't quite sure if I had it in me to be a police officer, but I listened to what he had to say. My dad was always so very proud of being a police officer. I love hearing the stories about back in the day and how things were. You know, when somebody was drinking and driving and how they would throw them in the back of their cruiser and drive them home and drop them off on the front doorstep. But what transpired in one of the conversations was, this might be a good idea. So I started going around to different police departments, starting with the one in my own town. Now, I live in a small community that is surrounded by small communities. And a lot of those police departments weren't hiring police officers. So I went to my hometown and asked if they were hiring, and they said, unfortunately, they weren't. And then I went to the neighboring police department. When I got to the neighboring police department, I asked if they were hiring police officers and they said, unfortunately not, but we are hiring dispatchers. And I paused and I asked, what was a dispatcher? I had no idea. I was a 26 year old kid just out of college I had graduated with my bachelor's degree in criminology, ready to be a police officer, yet I had no idea what a dispatcher was. So once my boss at the time, Sue Joes, had explained to me what a dispatcher was, I thought, heh, I might give it a try. So I applied, I got the job, and I remember starting in August of 1997. 
And on my way to work that first day, I will never forget being pulled over by Officer Donald Bullock. I was in a, a little white car and I was so nervous and excited and didn't know what this all was going to bring. I never worked, quote, a big girl job. I had always worked little odd jobs here and there in a convenience store or in Sears. and But I never had a big girl job with meaning. So on the way to my first day as a telecommunicator, my mind was racing, my heart was racing, and apparently so was my engine. Because when I got pulled over by Officer Bullock, I remember him walking up to the vehicle and being so embarrassed. He walked up and said the traditional license and registration, please. And I gave him my license and registration, and I waited patiently. And when he came back, he asked, where was I going? And I'm pretty confident he knew, knowing now what I know, when he got back to his car, I'm sure he ran my plate, which popped up in my name in the dispatch center that I was going to work my first training shift at. So I said, actually, officer, I'm going to the Freetown Police Department. I'm starting today as a new dispatcher. And he smirked and he looked at me and said, slow down and I'll see you in a little while. And I remember turning around out my window and asking Officer Bullock if he took cream and sugar in his coffee. I knew in that moment that this was the place that I was supposed to be. I'm not sure where exactly, but this was the life that I was meant to live. I was married at the time to my first husband. And I know it's kind of weird on an intro podcast that I'm going to disclose the fact that I was married, but it's also important to share that not long after I got married, I was divorced because that too is going to play into some of the topics that I discuss on my podcast. A lot of the PTSD that I suffer from has to do with the things that happened throughout my life. So not only, as I mentioned, will I be talking about public safety, but I'll also be talking about PTSD, and that plays a critical role in this conversation. So enough about that. Let's get back to how I knew I wanted to be a dispatcher for the rest of my life. So I walked into the door of the police department when I got there, still very nervous, curious, and I had no idea what was about to take place. So I sat down and I looked in awe at all of the things around me. There were radios, there were telephones, there were computer screens, there were alarm panels and books on a shelf and lists of things. And then I suddenly asked myself, am I able to do this? So I spent the next few months training with Joanne. And I'm, I'm truly blessed that Facebook exists. I stumbled upon Joanne, the dispatcher that trained me for the most part on Facebook. 
And I made sure that I sent her an email or message, sorry, on Facebook that explained to her what she did for me. She was the trainer that built my foundation as a telecommunicator. And if you're a trainer, I want you to lean in and listen closely to what I have to say. As a trainer, you have the ability to make or break the foundation of the person that you're training. So make sure that you do it properly. Make sure you do it for the right reasons. Joanne was a phenomenal trainer. She passed her passion for dispatching on to me very early on. I remember one of the first conversations we had and I asked Joanne, why do you want to be, why did you want to be a dispatcher? And she told me how she had to call 911 for a family member. She remembered that the dispatcher was kind and calm and was there for her during one of her most difficult days. And while I hadn't experienced that yet, there was something about that reason that I knew I was in safe hands. Joanne taught me to always be compassionate, to care about the callers, that you never know what that caller has gone through prior to picking up the phone and calling you. She taught me to always keep learning. Never settle, just keep learning. She taught me to respect my police officers and firefighters and EMTs. And while they're going to get on my nerves, to know at the end of the day, we're all family. I will forever be grateful for the training that I received from Joanne during my time at the Freetown Police Department. So as time went on, I was torn between two positions. I had started part-time in Freetown, and over time, I became part-time in Rochester, my town, my hometown. And a full-time position opened in Rochester, and I wanted full-time, and it was the right thing to do, so I took the job in Rochester as a full-time dispatcher. And I stayed on part-time in Freetown, but that didn't work out so well. So the lesson I learned there as a chief dispatcher is if somebody takes a full-time job somewhere else and they want to stay, quote, part-time at your agency, chances are it is not going to work out. Why? Because they have a commitment to their primary full-time job. So ultimately, I had to leave Freetown, and it was pretty sad. I, I was sad that I had to leave there because I loved... The folks that were there, uh, in a short time, I had built a family, if you will. But then on to Rochester I go, full-time. And now here I am, full-time in Rochester, being just a dispatcher. Whoa, 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 friends. Before you get all squirrely, let me justify saying just a dispatcher. At that time, I was just a dispatcher. I wasn't a supervisor. I wasn't the chief dispatcher. I didn't have to worry about 
training and hiring and firing and discipline and scheduling and budgets and all that stuff that would to come for me later. So when I say that being just a dispatcher was one of the, my most favorite jobs in my career, I mean just putting on the headset, just answering the calls, just dispatching help. So take that with a grain of salt and understand that in that sentence, sometimes being just a dispatcher, when you fast forward and you're in a leadership position, it means something. So our dispatch center was physically located in the Rochester Fire Department and the police department was next door. That meant that every time the tone went off and the firefighters would leave the station and come back, they would come into dispatch and they would get their payroll book and they would do the things that they needed to do. And they'd come in and chat for a little while. And before I knew it, I was building another family, a family that I didn't know necessarily that I truly needed. You see, we were a call fire department. So it wasn't like there were folks just roaming around the station all day. But when the tone went off, I looked at it as an opportunity to socialize. That meant folks were coming back to the 911 center after the call, and I'm gonna get to hear all about it. What I realized not long into my career as a dispatcher is that this EMT thing sounded pretty cool. So I talked to the fire chief and I told him I wanted to get on the department as an EMT. See that nurse thing that I tried earlier in life? It was coming back. My want and need to care for and help people. So not only was I doing it in dispatch, I was also doing it as an EMT. And it wasn't long before I attended a live burn. So we had a drill with the fire department and I was just hanging around as an EMT, making sure that if anyone got injured, they were well taken care of. And my future husband, unbeknownst to me at the time, asked if I wanted to go inside the building. And I looked at him like he was crazy. They were lighting fires in there and then going in by choice. But I got out of my comfort zone and I said, you know what? Yeah, I think I do want to try it. I was taking pictures and videos. So I decided I was going to go in and take a video of what was going on inside. He asked the chief if I was able to go in, got me a set of gear. And then the chief told, at the time, Lieutenant Eldridge, that he was responsible for me. Little did he know he was going to be responsible for me and my shenanigans for many years to come. I'm not sure if that day bonded us, but when I went into that fire with him, I felt safe. I felt excited. I felt passion. And I came out telling the chief that I wanted to go to the Call Fire Academy. So before I knew it, I was a 911 dispatcher, a firefighter, and an EMT. Nothing of which I thought I was going to do when I get older. 
I never truly believed that being a dispatcher was going to become the bulk of my career. But I remember that first night in Freetown when I took my first 911 call, even after I prayed for 911 to not ring. That particular night, there was a lot of chaos going on. Somebody had come in from another town. They had stolen tires off of a vehicle and then they stole another car and they parked the car in the middle of the street and the officers out chasing them around in the middle of the night. And he thought that there might be a firearm involved. And after this four hour chasing this knucklehead around town, I realized two things that night. Number one, I don't think I want to be a police officer anymore. And number two, if there was a job where I could talk for a living, that's where I want to be. So there I stayed for the next 20 years. About seven years into my career, I was blessed with the birth of my daughter. When I was out on maternity leave, the prior chief dispatcher, she too had gotten pregnant and told me that once she had the baby, she wasn't coming back. I had a pretty big decision to make. I had just recently finished paramedic school. I had passed my paramedic exam and I was going to make the decision as to, am I going to go get a job as a paramedic or am I going to take this job as the chief dispatcher? I made the decision to be the chief dispatcher and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. So now I'm in charge of this center and I have no idea where to start. I'm overwhelmed. I'm confused. I'm now a leader to the folks that I've been standing beside for years. It wasn't easy. So I started going through the folders in the dispatch center, in the chief dispatcher's office to see where I could just figure out what I'm supposed to do. And on that first day, I found some information that she had tucked away in a folder and the letters on the top of the folder said MCSA. So I dig a little bit further and I find some documentation and then I start Googling it and I realize that the MCSA is the Mass Communications Supervisors Association. And I felt like I was destined to be there. I reached out to the president at the time and, and asked, what do I need to do? Because I am a brand new chief dispatcher and I don't even know where to begin. What I learned is when you take charge or you move into a supervisor's position, don't do it alone. For the next 16 years, 17 years, I was entrenched in the Mass Communication Supervisors Association. I made lifelong friends, resources, and we did this thing together. I also realized I love teaching. 
So through this whole process, as every day is going by, new opportunities were arising. I decided that I wanted to, to teach and I, I was looking for ways to do this. And in 2006, my dad was involved in a very serious motorcycle accident out in Sturgis, South Dakota. Have you ever seen the movie Wild Hogs? Yeah, that's what I envisioned my dad and all his police officer buddies that decided to get Harleys at 70s years old and truck them out to Sturgis and hang out with all the folks for bike week. My dad was only there for like two days when he was hit T-boned by another bike going over 70 miles an hour. My mom and I journeyed out to Sturgis to take care of my dad. You know, the strongest guy I know, the Boston police officer. And it was devastating. My dad ultimately lost his leg in that motorcycle accident and he had a lot of healing to do. When it was time for my dad to be flown home in an air ambulance back to Boston, Massachusetts to be treated there, I was not able to go on the plane with my mom and my dad. And it was the first time I had ever been by myself anywhere outside of Massachusetts. I was devastated. I had to go figure out how to get a rental car. I had to book a hotel. I had to figure out what my flight was going to be home. And I was emotional because I wanted to be with my dad. And I did it all. I, I got my hotel. I booked the rental car. I got my flight home. I went and found a place to eat. And I bet you're wondering why I'm telling you this piece of the story. It all ties back to who I am and where I am today. About three months after my dad got hurt, I got a call from a dispatcher training company. Somebody had given them my name. The instructor, the lead instructor for the company had asked me if I wanted to teach for them. And I said, what does it entail? And he said, well, basically, you're going to travel around the country. You're going to book hotels. You're going to get rental cars. You're going to hang out by yourself. And, and you're going to teach telecommunicators all over the country. And I wasn't sure I could do it. But Drew, my friend, you taught me way back then that there was so much I could do. And I feel very strongly that if my dad hadn't gotten to the accident and I wasn't forced to do all those things at that time, I might not be where I am today. So I'm not saying that my dad got into that accident to make it so I could teach telecommunicators nationwide. I'm saying that it's so very important to see the good in bad situations. And I'm going to share now another one. So fast forward to 2013. I had been the chief dispatcher. I am a firefighter. I'm a paramedic. I have an amazing husband, two beautiful daughters, 
a gorgeous home in the country, an amazing dog, and I couldn't be happier. And in one moment, everything changed. You see, my boss at the time was one of my biggest fans. And when I say he was one of my biggest fans, I mean he was one of my biggest fans. And in a moment, he turned on me. And while I'm not going to get into all of that in this intro, but what I am going to do is point out the fact that you never know what folks have buried beneath the surface and what it will do if you are the one that rips that Band-Aid off. And that man ripped off a Band-Aid and exposed a wound that I thought had been healed a long time ago but it wasn't. Over the next three years, I slowly started to fight the battle of PTSD. That's going to be another whole episode at some point in the future. So make sure that you stay tuned every week because I'm going to have a lot to say about a lot of things. So at the time that I'm getting ready to leave my 911 center, and when I say leave my 911 center, I can assure you that there were 50 times in a year that I had said I was done, that I had had enough, and I would come home and I would be emotional and crying and yelling and telling my husband I needed to go, that I needed to be done. And for some reason, I never made the move to leave the 911 center. And now it's July of 2016, four years ago. And I'm at a commission meeting at the state 911 department. And as I'm sitting next to me, there is this guy who looks like a vendor, but I'm confused because the Massachusetts State 911 Department doesn't allow vendors into this particular meeting. So as I'm sitting there, they start explaining the reason why Reinhard Eckel was there from Rapid SOS. Reinhardt stood up and he started explaining to the 911 folks in Massachusetts about an app, an app that their company, Rapid SOS, had developed to solve the location issue for 911 callers. And I remember looking up at him and thinking to myself, what on earth do you know about location issues in 911? So as Reinhard proceeded to talk about the app, I downloaded this app that he was talking about. And as he was talking, I was making test calls because you could make test calls. And it wasn't a test call to 911. It was just a simulated test for the app to show you how it works. So as I'm talking, as he's talking and and I'm downloading the app and I'm putting in my information and making the test calls, the app asks me if I'm located here and it puts me right 
on the property at the State 911 in Taunton. Almost in the room that I know that I'm sitting in. But when the app asked me if I was here, I said, nope. And I moved the pin an hour north and I plopped myself in the middle of Fenway Park. You know, where the Red Sox play. And when Reinhardt paused and asked if anybody had any questions, I asked him if this was acceptable. If he thought it was acceptable that I have the ability to move that pin an hour north and simulate a 911 call when I'm nowhere near that location. And I saw the color change in his face. I then asked him if he had any calls that had ever gone to Northern 911 because it is a VoIP-based phone call. I then started firing off other questions, as did everybody else in the room. Once the meeting was over, I chased him out the door and I was in the parking lot and I was asking question after question after question. I didn't believe that solving the location issue with an app was the right way to go. So when I get back to my community, I called my dispatcher and I said, hey, look, I'm going to use this app to call 911. It's going to come into the 911 center. I want you to tell me where I am. So as soon as I hit the boundary in my jurisdiction, I placed that test call and she knew exactly where I was. And then I get closer to the station and I placed the test call and she knew exactly where I was. And then I went to the outskirts of town where cell signal is minimal and the call always bounced somewhere else because there was no service. And she knew exactly where I was. One night sitting by the campfire, I decided that I was going to have my daughter paddle me out into the middle of the pond. And I texted my dispatcher and I said, I'm going to do a test call from that app. And when I did the test call, she knew exactly where I was on the water. She could tell me that I was to the right of the island in that pond. And as time went on, I was so extremely frustrated with the fact that the location was spot on, but the only way to get it was with an app. So ironically, over the next three months, I said to myself, if they're going to build this, they're going to do it the right way. And I made sure that I did lots of test calls and I found issues and suggestions and Email after email, I had been talking to Reinhardt over and over and over and over again. And then not long after that, he had emailed me and said that the um, CEO of Rapid SOS was coming to Massachusetts and wanted to meet with me. So I get the email introduction to Michael Martin, the CEO, and he wants to meet with me. And I'm going to let him tell you on the next episode what that conversation went like. But I met with him. And the ironic piece of this whole thing is everything has its time. You see, I told myself and my husband a hundred times I was leaving the 911 center. That I had had enough. The PTSD had affected me physically, mentally, emotionally. 
I felt like I was stuck. I felt like there was so much more that I had to do. And three days before I got the email about meeting Michael Martin, I had come home very quietly, almost somber, and I told my husband it was time for me to go. And this was, I was serious this time. And he said, I know. And the very next day, I had started making the moves to leave the center. It didn't matter where I was going as long as I could pay my mortgage. At this time, I was teaching for Tony Harrison and the Public Safety Group. I was also going to start to do some third-party quality assurance stuff for the Denise Amber Lee Foundation. Those were part-time things. And I was also an EMT on the Rochester Fire Department where I had the opportunity to work shifts on the ambulance. The next day after making the decision to leave my center, I called Tony, I called Nathan Lee, and I called my fire chief. And I said, is there any way I can just work more for you guys so I can pay my mortgage and I can walk out the door of my center? When I made those phone calls that day, I am 100% convinced that it wasn't until I accepted my fate and I put it out there that it was time to go and I started making the moves. And two days after that, Michael Martin walked into my 911 center and offered me a job with Rapid SOS. It took me two months to make the decision to go there. And again, on the next episode, Episode one, my guest is going to be Michael Martin, the CEO and founder of Rapid SOS. Once I accepted the job, I had no idea what was in store for me. But let me tell you, it is almost four years later, and boy, has it been one wild ride. But as I made my way across the country, meeting some of the most amazing people over the last three and a half years. Not only did I get to make promises to them about technology that was going to change how they did their job, that we were gonna provide free technology that was going to save lives of caller after caller after caller by delivering fast and accurate location from the operating system on the device but also to have the opportunity to share my PTSD story with 911 telecommunicators nationwide. When I was asked for the first time to share my story as a keynote presenter at WIPSCOM in Wisconsin, it was one of the things I got to check off on my bucket list. To be able to share my story to a room full of 911 telecommunicators and then switch gears and go to the vendor hall and present to them on the technology that the company I work for is providing to help them do their jobs, I couldn't be more thankful for the opportunity to save lives on both sides of the call. 
On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge is supported by Rapid SOS. Thank you so much for joining us this week and make sure you join us next time for episode one. My guest will be Michael Martin, the founder and CEO of Rapid SOS. Michael and I will dig in and discuss his vision to provide and the journey to execute free life-saving technology that is in just over 5,000 911 centers across the U.S. and beyond. Make sure you like and follow my Facebook page and LinkedIn page on Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with all of my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes. From the bottom of my blessed heart, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.